You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. This is Mining Stock Education, and I am your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to engage the show by emailing me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. Well, today we're going to be hearing from my friend Don Durrett over at goldstockdata.com. If you're not familiar with Don's website, head over there, check out the research service that he provides. He has an excellent website when it comes to researching gold and silver stocks. Website again is goldstockdata.com. Don, thanks for coming on Mining Stock Education again and as uh, you are now in Nevada you moved from California so uh, I hope everything has gone well in your transition and uh, what is the economy like around you in Nevada there and you know do you think we're in a recession or, or what's going to happen here in in Las Vegas the hotels are sh- shut down so there's no airplanes in the, in the sky and so <laughs> Las Vegas is kind of on hold I think, I think the uh, strip employs like 250,000 people so that's a lot of people that are basically unemployed since the strip is on lockdown. The strip is just shut down. So, you know, Las Vegas shut down, Nevada shut down, which it's a which is amazing. Um, I don't think Las Vegas will come back to full strength. Perhaps never again. Now the question is, will they get back to 80%? How long will it take them to get back to like 80% of strength? Uh, I think it's going to take more than a year. So America as a whole, I mean, using that as an analogy, I think we're probably looking at maybe a two-year recession. Um, And maybe when I say two-year recession, I mean that we come back into into recovery mode like we kind of strength that we were at, you know, pre, uh, you know, February, January this year, it's going to take a while. Um, uh, I don't think uh, banks are, are going to make a lot of loans because when you're in a recession, the banks kind of go on hold. They wait. <laughs> banks are very patient in recessions. So it, that's when the one the reason that recessions usually last a while. The last recession in 2008 was short. It only lasted like nine months. Um and so this one's going to be, I think it's going to last at least two years and it's going to be sluggish growth. It's the way I see it. And do you see inflation occurring, you know, a stagflationary environment where we have inflation along with the recession? You would think that we're going to have recession. We're, we're having more helicopter money this time than 2008. Uh, more money has been given away. We're, a lot of money has been given to small business. We've had one check, uh, higher unemployment checks going out on the federal level. So the, the helicopter money should create some inflation. I mean, I'll be surprised if it doesn't. The question is, you know, to what degree, how much inflation we actually get. Um, you know, it's hard to say. A lot of people are calling that we're going to have hyperinflation. Um, possibly, but when, uh, that's hard. I don't know if we're going to get hyperinflation. I don't know when. I mean, it might be down the road. Um, I've always thought, I mean... I kind of expected a, a big crash like this. I think we probably would have had, you know, the virus, I mean, shut down everything. I mean, we didn't expect that. But, I mean, a serious recession, I think a lot of people were expecting uh, before now. I mean, the only reason we, have, we haven't had a serious re- recession in the last few years, I think, is because the Fed has uh, manipulated interest rates and manipulated uh, uh, liquidity and made sure that 
basically every the stock market didn't crash. I mean, you you could see whenever the stock market uh, dropped, they would inject their balance sheet would go up and they would inject money. It was like they were preventing a recession from happening. And this one they couldn't prevent. I mean, they were even talking. If you remember, they were saying we're not going to have a recession again. <laughs> they actually were. Saying because they were so being so successful at in, injecting liquidity. And this goes to MMT, I mean, modern uh, monetary theory. Uh, this, this MMT, it, that whole term came out of what Japan started doing in the early 1990s when their economy uh, basically crashed in the late 80s, 89. And they've never gotten back. Their real estate prices have never get, come close to what they were in 89. Stock market's never even closed. It's half. It's 50% of where, less than 50% of where it was in 1989, which is amazing. And they've used, um, you know, their central banks have injected money, large amounts of money, increased their balance sheet. And now the Fed is basically emulating Japan, doing the same thing, expanding their balance sheet, which started after 9/11. And Japan has never crashed, and so their MT has worked to a certain extent. And America says, well, Japan did it. They never got inflation, so maybe we can do it. But I think MMT is probably going to cause inflation. Um, I think it's insanity, economic insanity. It's just it's basically experimentation. Um, we've never uh, this is new stuff economically, and I don't think it's going to work myself. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has a tight share structure, and with its current treasury, it can self-fund the advancement of its gold discovery into at least 20 2022. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. Some precious metals investors are also proponents of cryptocurrencies, and that's the category you would fall in, Don. So something like Bitcoin, if we get this inflationary situation, do you think that Bitcoin would be a preservation tool for your purchasing power? Um, yes. So I've done a lot of research on Bitcoin. I actually have written a 100-page paper on it, um, which took a lot of uh, research because if I was going to invest in Bitcoin, I wanted to understand it. And the only way I could understand it was to do research. And, you know, I'm a writer, so I ended up writing um, a 100-page uh, article on it, which you can get. There's a link on my web website. Um, anybody can read the free PDF. So I understand Bitcoin, and I don't think most people do. And the reason why Bitcoin is a store of value, we actually had the having yesterday, as a matter of fact is that Bitcoin is designed to increase in value because it's, it's basically deflationary. Now, Bitcoin is actually now the hardest money in the world. It, it basically, it's even with gold right now or, or, or um, it passed it up. And the reason why is because every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that gets created decreases by 50%. So yesterday, Bitcoin, they created, the miners created 1,800 Bitcoins in a single day. Uh, today, the miners only create 900 Bitcoins. So the world, Bitcoin's a global currency. The entire world can only buy 900 new Bitcoins every single day. That's it. That's the demand. That's the creation. That's the inflation rate. That's why I made the hardest money. 
So the creation rate, if you look at how much gold is mined on a daily basis, uh, it's equivalent to how much Bitcoin on a dollar basis, how much Bitcoin is mined. So they're mined on this on equality. But Bitcoin, uh, in four more years, it will drop to 450 Bitcoins. That's it. And so the only way that you can buy Bitcoins is you have to get somebody to sell you some Bitcoins that already owns it. So it, it basically creates a very small uh, amount of Bitcoin that's available, depending on how many people are holding. For instance, I'm not selling my Bitcoin. You can't, you can't get mine. So you got to go get it from somebody else. So in order to get your hands on it, you have to bid a little bit higher. So that's the reason why Bitcoin is designed to increase in value. So if Bitcoin survives, every year that it goes into the future, it becomes more valuable. That's the reason why Bitcoin is $9,000 a day, 8,900 right now as we speak. So Bitcoin, if it survives, every day it survives, that halving becomes more into effect. For instance, you always talk about something getting priced into Bitcoin, the halving. So the next four years, every year, so we get out there in 2021, 2022, then people start pricing in the next halving. So it puts upward pressure on the price. So um, I think that Bitcoin, if it survives, will go up in value. So it is a store value. I've said that I think it's possible that Bitcoin is actually a more go-to asset as a sort of value than gold. Uh, maybe I'll be wrong, but I think that's a possibility. I just pulled up the Bitcoin chart, and since mid-February, the chart action actually resembles quite closely gold. Right, both a store of value. Exactly, to that point, uh, and I don't own any Bitcoin as of right now, but when it comes to gold, Don, there are those that think gold could sell off in a liquidity crunch if we see that in the general equities, and then just chartists that may not be thinking about the S&P and the Dow would say, okay, well, we need a pullback here because it's performed so well over the last two months. If we are going to see a pull pullback, what would be like some support levels that you might be looking at? Yeah, I think that there's a really good chance um, that the overall market sell off. Uh, we had uh, we've had a 61.8 percent retrace, which is typically what you get when you get a big crash, and then that's as far as the retrace goes before you start having another sell off, and that's where we're at right now. We had that 61 percent retrace, and that was as far as it could go. So the S&P hasn't been able to, you know, break, get over 3,000. It's been kind of stuck there, and the Dow has been stuck at 24,000. And I think that the number to look at right now is probably um, 23,000 on the Dow. So if the Dow goes under 23, we're probably going to see a, another significant uh, sell-off in the markets. 18,000 was the low. I think there's a good chance we retest 18,000 this year. But it probably won't be in the next couple months. But I think if we would probably, we, I think we probably will retrust 23,000 though fairly soon. Um, and then we'll see what happens. The thing about the market is all about the Fed and its injection of liquidity. And everybody's thinking that that liquidity is going to transfer into stocks at some point. I've seen some people say it's going to help right now, it's going to prevent a sell off. Or if it doesn't prevent it now, down the road, it's going to end up doing this melt up and the markets are going higher. And then you're going to see a lot of money uh, continue to be invested in the markets. But again, we talked earlier about this. I'm seeing a two-year recession. So if you're in a two-year recession, you're not going to get a big, you know, a lot. You're not going to have earnings. So there's not going to be any underlying fundamentals there supporting these stocks. And so I think 
that puts a bit of a floor under gold. So even if we have a sell-off, the miners will get sold off, but I don't see how far gold's going to get sold off. My, the number in my head, and you know, we ne nobody can predict the future, of course. But in my head, I actually think the low for gold, if we have a big sell-off on the markets, is around 1500 somewhere around there. I don't see it really going much lower than that. And it, it might not even get down to 1500 So we'll have to wait and see. But I do see a, 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 there's gonna, I do expect a sell-off. Anybody that's holding miners that they think that we're in an uptrend and they're only going to go higher is probably going to have some paper losses here pretty soon. What about the silver? I believe the last time we spoke, uh, 1850 was a, a was a big threshold for you. As we speak now, uh, silver is at about 1550. So, uh, what would be your outlook for silver? Silver. So, if you go back to uh, the last two recessions, uh, 2001, 2008, um, 2002, 2008, silver um, did not do well dur during the recession. And so we're currently in the recession. And so I don't know when silver will, I think, will break out. But silver is is showing um, that we're probably going to have some more selling in the market. Silver is going to wait until the selling's done before it breaks out um, because silver is, is right now being treated like a commodity. But then after that, then people start to realize that Silver is also a, a, a monetary metal, and then it starts getting traded. It, the fear, the fear factor comes in that things could not get better because people always expect these business cycles to recover and that you know everything's going to get better. But again, this one there's a lot of unknowns, and so you're going to start to get to see the see the fear trade kick into gold and kick into silver. Um, silver is waiting for something. It's I think it's waiting. For these, for, for the bottom to get in, or it's waiting for gold to break out further. We might have to wait until gold gets solidly over 1800 before we see this move in silver. But when silver moves, I think silver is going to move quickly. I think once we get over $18, I don't think there's going to be any stopping silver from finally getting to 1850. And I don't think there's going to be anything stopping silver to get over 20. Once silver gets over 20, there's nothing going to stop it to get to 27. And once you get to 27, there's nothing going to stop to get to 50. So, so it's amazing. I mean, that's the way the chart, if you look at the silver chart and the fundamentals, once silver gets to $18, I see it going to a new high. And I said the same thing about gold. Once gold got to 1370, it was going to a new high. And that's what we're going to see. So silver just hanging back, the recession still being treated as a, as a commodity. But once something triggers silver to start moving, you talk about a trend, a trend trade. When silver hits, say, $17, it's probably time to buy it because the trend is probably there, and it's probably going to start running, 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 running. <laughs> That's my expectation. Don, don't you think that the silver juniors, though, are performing so bullishly and you know, telegraphing that they expect to move higher in silver? Well, to a certain degree, yes, but to another certain degree, they're not doing well. I mean, look at First Majestic. What's it at? Eight dollars? I mean, that's not a, that's not really great. I mean, it's doing okay. Pan American, I, I, gosh. Part of that is all their mines are shut down for First Majestic because all their mines are in Mexico, and they have a higher all-in sustaining cost, which is right about around where the spot price is currently. 
Right. But if you look at its potential cash flow at higher silver prices, yeah, I get it. It's getting priced for those reasons. I mean, I was going to look at Pan American to see what it's currently at. So Pan American's doing all right at 21. It's it's made quite a run. It was at, you know, it was down at $12 back in March. So it's went from 12 to 21. It's bounced. So you're right. So the silver, some of the silver miners are, but Pan American also has gold. And I think that's really helping Pan American that it has gold. If it only had silver, it probably wouldn't be at 21. So the pure silver miners haven't really performed fantastically well. I think they will. I think they will perform fantastically well. The, the, the amazing thing is that all of your silver miners back in 2008, they now all own gold mines. There's very few uh, pure, pure uh, silver miners left. Silver Corp just made an offer for a guy in a gold field. We can talk about the M&A. Um, so they finally, they're going to buy a gold mine. Um, you know, Great Panther bought a gold mine. America's Silver bought a gold mine. Uh, I mean, all of these companies, SSR Mining, you know, they're now, they just bought a huge gold mine in Turkey. They're like, they don't care about silver anymore. They used to be a pure silver miner. Um, there's very few uh, pure silver miners left. Um, and then the other thing that's bad about silver is that a lot of people want a pure silver miner and so they buy the smaller ones, the smaller cap silver miners, but they don't have large enough resources to really have the cash flow. You know, they, there's a lot more risk involved in those. But they move in a silver bull market though. They they, they really could. They really could. There's more risk there. there. But some of these smaller uh, silver, silver um, projects, silver properties... Um, that, but those are your only choices. That's all that's left because yeah. there's just there's no more big pure silver miners left. Alexco. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Arcana Corporation is on the verge of bringing the world's highest grade silver mine into production. The Revenue Virginius Mine in Colorado has proven improbable silver reserves grading nearly 37 ounces per ton silver with an all-in sustaining production cost of only US $8 per ounce of silver. The mine is fully permitted with infrastructure already in place and the company has announced they plan to commence production in 2020. Achieving successful production usually results in a significant up upward share price re-rating on the Lasan curve. Arcana trades under the ticker AUN in Toronto and AUNFF in New York. To learn more, go to arcana.com. That's A-U-R-C-A-N-A.com. In previous years, Don, when we've chatted, uh, we've talked about M&A and you, in as I've asked you about various M&A um, mergers and acquisitions you were not for them because you're in it for at least a five-fold gain and you know what's a 20 percent premium or a lot of these companies are now doing at at market mergers or they're getting bought out when they're you know trading at a 52 week or multi-year low some of them so i would assume that you weren't thrilled with any of the mergers and acquisitions that you've seen this week uh, no, I, I, I wasn't. Well, it depends which company. <laughs> it depends the angle. Okay, so let's, there's two, there was two big ones this week. Um, we can talk about them real quickly. So you had SSR Mining doing um, a, a merger of equals with Alliser. Um, and so Alliser has all, all of their production. They're both mid-tier producers, e somewhat equal size. SSR is a little bigger. Alliser, all of their production is in Turkey. And so... the Right now, SSR mining is in uh, safe jurisdictions. And so what they've done is they've added risk, location risk, by acquiring 
um, Alistair. And so a lot of SSR mining um, investors aren't real happy with it. I, I saw somebody on my website sold theirs because they weren't happy. I saw another person say that they got a serving of turkey. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so that's the one thing is that now I see SSR mining actually, this actually might be a good thing for them because what it shows is that they've shown their intent now of what they want to do. They want to grow into a very large gold mining company. This isn't their first acquisition. They're gonna, if they're going to reach out to Turkey, this means that they're open anywhere in the world. So they're probably, um, but they're, they're going to try to find something in Australia, Canada, and the U.S. That that's probably where they're going to focus. But now may, they might buy something in South America even. But they're, they're going to have, they're going to be open-minded now for acquisitions. I see SSR Mining uh, as a growth company now. So it, it, I, I'm going to hold it. I, I, I do. I see them as, an, as a growth mining. This is actually showing their intention of growing. They can become a big company. Um, now, Alistair isn't really going to um, – wasn't cheap. They weren't super cheap. They weren't – you know. Uh, so they weren't buying a highly undervalued stock, which was their modus operandi in the past. But now what they're doing is they are going to leverage the cash flow from Alistair for another acquisition. So you can see what they're doing here. They're just, they're just building up their cash flow. Um, that's what this is. This is all about building their cash flow to grow. So overall, I think it's a good one. Now, the next big um, merger of this was um, Grand Columbia which I, I actually predicted this months ago. I put it in my website saying that Grand Columbia was going to acquire Gold X, but I thought what they were going to do is they were going to have Gold X uh, spend all their money uh, developing and permitting this project, and they were going to wait, and they were going to acquire Gold X after it was de-risk and after Gold X spent all their money doing it. But I guess they lost their patience because they said, well, wait, wait a minute here. Gold, <laughs> you know, it's interesting how, how these companies think. All these companies, they, they lead on that they don't believe the price of gold is going higher. They, they basically manage their company as if the price of gold is going to go lower. But, but Grand Columbia is going, uh-oh, okay, they own, they own 20% of Gold X, and they're going, Gold X is super cheap right now. And they're going... Gold is probably going to go to $2,000 this year. Gold goes to $2,000. Gold X is probably going to double in value. We, have, we better buy it now. So they're basically preempting the price of gold because they know that if Gold X is cheap and the investors are going to recognize it, and I think Gold X probably would have doubled. They would have, every, all these stocks are going to start trending in $1,800 gold. Um, trending significantly, and, go, and a lot of these stocks are going to double between 1800 and 2000 So Gold X probably would have doubled. So they said, well, we're going to preempt it. Let's go and buy it now while they're cheap. So in my opinion, Gold X is worth about 10% of, you know, you know it's a very large open pit mine. And it, the cash flow, the future cash flow is tremendous. If gold goes, you know, $2,500, the cash flow of that mine is just huge. Um, and so Grand Columbia is just going to, you know, reap the rewards if gold goes higher. Some people don't like the, the, this merger because, because the Gold X project doesn't make sense at, say, $1,500 gold. So Grand Columbia, they're going, wait a minute, wait, we don't want them to build that mine because it has, they're afraid of the risk of the price of gold dropping. But Grand Columbia is looking out to the future. They're going, gold's probably going to go through the roof. We want that mine. 
um, because of the leverage. The leverage is tremendous because of the, the size of it. I think it's eight, eight million ounce open pit project, like one gram. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good project. Now, the thing that's odd about this is Grand Columbia said that they want to include Guyana Goldfields in the deal, but it was unsolicited. It's unsolicited. They didn't even go to them beforehand. It's like, and Grand Columbia said the deal is required. The only way that this deal happens is if, if all if Grand Columbia and Goldex both both say yes. So they made when you rarely see these unsolicited three company deals. This is a really unusual uh, merger here, and it for me it shows a little bit, and I think we're going to see more acquisitions. I actually see this shows that companies are getting really nervous about the price of gold exploding higher, and they want to they want to get in now. They they don't they don't they think that in three months gold is going to be at eighteen hundred dollars soon soon. That's that's the only thing. Both of these mergers show me that there's a lot of I don't know if nervous, nervousness is the right word anticipation that gold prices are heading higher soon. Uh, one thing I've been noticing is that Barrett Gold um, is looking for copper deals. Uh, any thoughts or commentary you can provide on this trend? Yeah, it's insanity. And Barrett Gold has done this before. We're going in – they're basically – I don't know insanity. That's too strong of a word. But gold should stick to the knitting and stick to gold, gold production. Um, copper is – a risk because you we don't know if how if the economy is going to come back or when it's going to come back. Nobody's going to be building copper mines um, for a while. Um, and when is copper demand going to come back? So if they're not going to build a copper mine, why buy one? But that's beside the point. You can see I'm very negative on copper the next two years. He would disagree with you, and Don, I would disagree with you on the copper fundamentals. But in the near term, I understand your point on the demand for copper. There's going to be there's always cheap copper plays out there you wait just be patient they should be they should be buying cheap gold mines is what they should be buying um and the one thing about barrick is barrick has been very conservative too conservative they're they basically base their model on 1300 dollars gold they don't want a project that isn't profitable at 1300 that's because of past mistakes in the last cycle right maybe 1200 yeah but i i just think that's too conservative i think you they should start looking at 1400 dollars projects um and if gold goes to 2000, they can make fortune. I forgot to say something about the act, the merger uh, with Goldex, with Grand Columbia Goldex and Guyana Goldfields. If you were, and this is in, this is very pertinent to this. This is for gold investors. This shows you how you can get killed <laughs> um, investing in mining stocks and how risky it is. If you were a Guyana Goldfields in, uh, shareholder. The odds are you are underwater significantly because Guyana Goldfields has just crashed. The same with Goldex, even more so. So both the Goldex uh, shareholders and the Guyana Goldfields shareholders, both of them, probably got are getting killed on this because they're so far underwater. Um, and now um, you're going to end up holding Grand Columbia. Now you might Grand Columbia when they if this closes. Probably is going to have uh, maybe you know three x five. Uh, I'll say five x upside potential, but that five x upside potential is probably only going to take may, get these you know because of the, this acquisition. You might break even if you're you know Gold X shareholder, depending on when you buy it. But if you're a long time 
shareholder, they're kind of getting thrown under the bus. The only way that Gold X shareholders were really going to get healthy is if Gold X built that project themselves and the project, and then it took off and then it was a 10 bagger and you basically got healthy. I was just showing that. So what happens is, is that if you invest, for instance, in a development stock like Gold X and it, as they develop it, it takes a lot of money to develop. There's a lot of dilution involved. The share prices drop. You get way underwater if you buy early. And then they then they get taken out and you end up losing money. So on development stocks, you got to be really careful if there isn't a path to production. If there's not a path to production, if you don't, when I say path to the production, I mean they're giving guidance saying, okay, we're going to produce in say two, three years. There isn't a path to production. You're taking a lot of risk on these development stocks. I just want to throw that out there. I agree with you. And with those development stocks, you got to make sure that they're cashed up. And then the main thing I pay attention to before I would even consider it is the movement of the underlying commodity because we've seen these projects you get a Nova Gold up there in Alaska a huge project you know it's doing nothing for a while and then gold takes off and that stock just doubles not because anything fundamentally changed but just because of the commodity and the prospects of it getting built now in this cycle we'll see but maybe it'll happen yeah, yeah, yeah. Development, development, exploration stories. I don't think people understand just how much risk you're you're taking on. It's just the risk reward is not great. You got to be really picky and you got to be you know smart about it. It's just it's not easy. What about uh, single mine producers or producers with high all-in sustaining cost? You know they haven't moved as quickly as the royalty companies and the major gold producers. Uh, any of those catch your eye right now, Don? I, one thing I want to make about single properties. So some people think that single properties have more risk than multi-property, and I don't think that's true. For instance, if you compare First Majestic Silver to Mag Silver, for instance, um, Mag Silver has one property, and so you say, oh, that one property goes down, Mag Silver could go bankrupt. True, but First Majestic has like, I don't know how many producing properties. Let's say they have five producing properties. If one producing property goes down, First Majestic shares are going to drop. So there isn't, there, in my opinion, there's no advantage to having multiple properties other than each property can have exploration potential. But if you have one great, one really world-class property, single property, that's really all you need. You can grow from there. So I love Mag Silver. I think Mag Silver, that one single property, is like the foundation for growth. So n now to go back to your question about high high all-in costs, it depends what, what how high they are. But for instance, um, I'll, I'll pick out one. Endeavor Silver right now is high all-in cost, and, and it's dry, and it's down. It's like uh, around around two dollars or so. Um, but they're losing money. I, I think their all-in cost is at least twenty bucks right now. So you know, Endeavor Silver is. It, it looks like it's a very ugly stock, but it's actually a good little. It's a good um, risk-reward stock because, like you said, if if silver takes off. All of all the all the stock all of them are going to do well, but Endeavor has an, has enough resources. They're one of the few per, pure silver miners. They have enough resources that they have enough cash flow that they could really explode higher. So you could see Endeavor easily go from you know two to fifteen. Wouldn't surprise me. So yeah, you're taking a risk that they could go bankrupt if silver prices don't blast off here. But I would I would rather take um, you know take the risk with them than take the risk with a smaller uh, property that had, you know, fairly good uh, all-in costs. 
myself because I like the 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 cash flow potential, if you will. And as we kind of wrap it up here, Don, uh, any drill plays that you've invested in since we last spoke? No. Um, let's talk. What are my favorite drill stories? Um, gosh, there's there's a lot of them out there. Um, my favorite one probably right now is Lion One. Um, Lion One is in Fiji, and they think that they have a multi-million ounce. It's totally high risk. Do can they find the multi-million ounce? Maybe, maybe not. It's definitely a flyer, um, but that's one I like. Uh, I've I've seen some others, but I'm not going to mention them because the risk is a little too high. They're not. They're not. They don't excite me as much. Two other ones that are somewhat drill stories. Skeen is somewhat exciting. Is they have a very large open pit, but underneath it, they have some really high grade gold underneath. That's a bit of a drill story, I think, too. So Skeen is somewhat exciting, and I think that Ascot Resources, both these are in British Columbia, both of them are building mines, but they have a whole bunch of drill targets or high grade drill targets around their mines that I think are exciting. So they're kind of long. So I like drill stories that are sometimes companies already have deposits, but they have additional exploration potential that makes them exciting. So, I mean, you, drills, a drill uh, result will always push a stock higher, no matter how big the company is. Well, it does, it does depend on how big the company is. But a, but a good drill result will always help a company or push it higher. And so the lower, the cheaper the company is, the more it can push it. So always look for you know, drill stories that, that get you excited, but don't um, underestimate a company that already has, that already is producing, already has a development story, but they have something exciting over here that they could find. Go check out Don's website if you're not familiar with his work, goldstockdata.com. He runs a very affordable and highly insightful service, which I can attest to. Don, as always, I appreciate your insights. Thanks for coming on today's show. All right, Bill, thanks. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts it might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. 
I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.